Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's the My First Gig Podcast. Whoa. Sharing stories of first gigs and shows. Roy's keen, oh Roy's keen, we've never seen a keener window cleaner. Yeah, let's quote Morrissey in the year 2022. That's a thing. Let's not do that. But I could not introduce today's guest without thinking of uh, Roy's keen, the Morrissey song, inspired by Roy Keane, which Roy Kent, Brett... Goldstein's character in Ted Lasso is inspired by. So, look, if I've been mentioning Marcy, blame it on Brett. And blame it on the fact that this interview was recorded four years ago. Jesus. Yes, four years ago. Oh, my God. Yes, four years ago, back when liking Marcy uh, was definitely still problematic, but not as bad as today. What are we listening to? Sorry. Hello, guys. It's Dwayne. It's me. This is my first gig. Powered by Acast, hope you are having a lovely, lovely afternoon, or morning, or evening, or life. Or no, not and life. Let's just enjoy our lives. As I said, guest today, Brett Goldstein. It's a real old interview. This was recorded in the Pleasance Courtyard, or was it in one of the rooms? I can't remember. It was recorded anyway in a very public place. Arguably the busiest place you'll find uh, in the Edinburgh Fringe and Brett was doing his show there. Baby Don't Hurt Me, What Is Love? What Is Love, Baby Don't Hurt Me? Oh, I've got, a, I've got it wrong. It's been many years. And, yeah, we had a lot of observers, passers-by and workers making noise, but I've, uh, I've basically spent four years editing this down to make it sound as good as it can for you. You can hear a little bit, but barely. Barely. This is what happens. A lot of my interviews are recorded in comedy spaces, in public places, in your faces. And, uh, yeah, I think it did a good job. This is, uh, yeah, another one of the archive interviews that are finally seen the light of day. Blown up a hard drive, found it again. Here we are. And how nice is of it? How nice is it, should I say? How nice is it of Brett to become a global superstar in the time since I recorded this interview? Now, I was a big fan of Brett, both on screen and on stage at the time of recording. I had known him from being in Derek. Um, He was fantastic in Derek. And I thought, yeah, you know what? Let's go for it. I think, I think this is the guy that needs the My First Gig stamp of approval. And I thought, you know what? I don't want to take credit for all of it. 
So I'm going to hold the interview back until he's really made it. And then he knows he's done this himself. And, you know, there'll be no no second guessing it. And now that he is a Emmy Award winning actor, I can now put this out, you know, humbly and say, congratulations, Brett. I always believed in you. And that's why this has taken so long to come out. Oh, guys, here we are anyway. How 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 are we? Now that we got those introductions done, how are we getting on? Are you doing all right? Did you enjoy last week's episode, Lara Bites? I had a lot of fun with it. Did you? Um, yeah, I thought it was quite fun. The day that the Lara Bites interview came out, I got on to Mark Marin, who is here in Dublin, and I said, hey, let's do a podcast. And he got back to me, and he was just like, haven't been able to send emails I'm guessing with like the phones being abroad and stuff. He goes, sorry, it's too late now. I'm like, no, no. So, um, if you're listening, go tell Mark Martin that when he's next in Dublin, he needs to make time for the big Dwayne boy. Uh, but don't say big Dwayne boy. He won't know what that means. Maybe tag the podcast. Okay, okay. Thank you very much. It's uh, it's nice. Another late record. Just home from doing a show. Here in Dublin at Cherry Comedy, the first ever Cherry Comedy All Stars. If you're if you're fans of the Irish comedy circuit, you'll be all too familiar with the acts that we had a triple headline show fe- featuring Deirdre Kane, Jared Regan, and Michael Fry. And I'm, yeah, I'm a bit I'm a bit buzzed after that now. I don't want to go to sleep, so it's podcast recording time. You know, it's hard when you are. It's hard when you're when you come home from a show. Usually they're late at night. Because they're late at night, you wake up late in the day, so you don't want to sleep. And if you can, you won't, you know. Was that a riddle? What's going on? I often lose my mind on these intros, and today is no different. But yeah, just got a bit of that, bit of that feeling. I am freezing in as well, though, so the adrenaline has been cancelled out by the cold. Um, I'm recording this downstairs, and uh, my girlfriend insists on putting things away. <laughs> what? which means that all of my warm jumpers and hoodies and dressing gowns are upstairs in the bedroom where she's sleeping, so I can't go up there and interrupt her. So I'm sitting here with a blanket underneath me. Underneath me? Over me? God, I'm going mad. It's the cold. It's the cold and the adrenaline. No, not the cold and the adrenaline. If you uh, if you take a look at Brett's page on Wikipedia, it makes for some nice reading. It just is like Goldsey was born in Sutton, London, not Dublin. Um, he attended this school, one of the most expensive independent schools in the UK. Look, fair play if you can do it. Uh, he went to University of Warwick, studied film, has a podcast about film now. Have you heard it? Films to be buried with. Go over and listen to it. It's very good. All the guests on this podcast, they've definitely been on that. But then it says, briefly after college, he will relocate to Marbella to work at a strip club, which his father purchased during a midlife crisis. Oh, see, I read that quick a second ago and I thought, he said he went to work at a strip club, where, which his father branded as a midlife crisis, as if to say, oh, our Brett's off, getting his kit off in a, in a strip club. And I was thinking, right. Is it often that your father gives commentary on Wikipedia? Because that would be 
a site I would visit more often. If everyone's Wikipedia page had comments from their father at the end of it, being like, oh, and then Dolly Parton won the Grammy, and he's like, yeah, it's, well, the song was shit. I'd, I'd go there. Um, so never mind. Actually, the point I was making on this doesn't exist. But let's, uh, let's yeah, get your dads, if you have a Wikipedia page, just get your dads to edit them, you know? Why not? Get your dads to tweet me. I need friends. But Brett is absolutely killing it right now. Ted Lasso blowing up. I know they're recording new episodes in London as we speak uh, in time of the year. Not so much date, unless they're filming some night scenes. Who knows? But one thing I've spotted here is a new TV show that is created by written and starring, not starring, created and written by Brett alongside Bill Lawrence and Jason Siegel. Apple TV starring Harrison Ford. That's exciting. Hey, you know what? Turns out, not only do things get good after you're on my first gig, but it gets even better after we actually release it. So... Well, I won't take credit for how he's gotten here. I will take credit for everything that happens from now on while he's at his most popular and still on his rise. You know, that's the my first gig effect. And yeah, I'm uh, I'm currently reading Bono's book, Surrender. I went to buy it this morning and nobody else was there because it's Dublin and they hate Dublin man Bono. I'm just looking at the book next to me. It's quite nice. And I realise it's the only opportunity I'll ever have of telling you what I'm reading. That makes me sound kind of cultured. But every book I've ever read has been a autobiography by either a footballer or a musician. And today is no different. And, yeah, it's really good. And I might, I might sneak in a, f- a few pages. Let's get a few, uh, a few leafs before I go to bed. So I'm going to go do that. I'll check in with you in a little while. But uh, while I'm doing that, how about you sit down and enjoy my first gig with Brett Goldstein. Talk about today. We're at the, uh, we're at the Pleasance in, uh, in the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. You're, uh, you're about to do your show yep. for what, day 16, day Ooh. 15, 17. 17? Yeah. How has it been going so far? Uh, it's been going very well. What, I didn't take is, a day off. Baby Don't Hurt Me, isn't it, Yes. Yeah, I didn't take a day off this year. And um, I'm not sure that was wise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like even just one day to reset and realise, yeah. okay, it's a Tuesday. Yeah. It's but usually week. when I have a day off, it's sort of I find it very hard to get started again. So I just thought I'll just plough through. Yeah, it's, it's it's mad that you can do something like so frequently, and then one day off can feel like you've taken you yeah. know the last time you did it was weeks or months ago. Yeah, I think your body goes, oh, we're we're done, are we? And then you get ill, and then that's my theory why everyone gets ill in Edinburgh. It's on their day off. Yeah, their body goes, oh, can we relax now? <laughs> gives up. Um. Anyway, other than that, it's going great. Thanks. Well, t- tell me a bit about the show. Um. Has it debuted here, or have you been doing it before the festival? I previewed it previewed, all yeah. around, but this is its sort of official. Okay. And will you, will you stick with us now for maybe next year or so, 18 months, kind of? Uh, probably for another, if I do a little tour, yeah, I'll do it some more, but then I'm already working on a new show. Okay, so yeah, always one for forward. Um, how would you describe the, 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 the current show, and is it 
it's a show about uh, love and sex and porn and addiction and it is sort of about uh sort of comes from something that happened in my life sort of spins off from there uh and usually i've done shows that are all kind of true stories but i've left quite a lot of years before telling the story okay and this is the shortest amount of time between so it's still fresh still real yeah pretty fresh uh but i feel like i know what they're the other ones were maybe too dark, so it had to okay. be enough time to find the funny in them. This one's like, no, I see where the jokes are. When you when you finish a show like this, doing it, you know, and you say, especially with no day off, and then you try and look after a month in Edinburgh, and then you look at maybe doing a tour. Yeah, you have to find, I guess, more time then as well, because you know you can't. You, do you, would you take an hour oh, you have on to tour? Make it longer. Oh, that's easy. I mean, it was already too long. I've had to cut loads of stuff for this so sure yeah well, i guess is there, is i get to put the other stuff back in so you have yeah so i guess yeah if you have if you have the other stuff it's kind of a, it's a it's a simple process yeah well if we go back and kick off now and start talking about your your first gig but like long before your first gig yeah uh do you remember and interpret the word comedy however you wish yeah. uh do you remember what your first memory of comedy is good question uh i remember the first time, what's my first memory of comedy? My dad was obsessed with the film The Man with Two Brains, Steve Martin. And maybe that was it. Yeah. Because I definitely saw that when I was like three or something. Maybe that was the first memory of comedy. Wait, would you have, you know, gone back and watched that film a bit growing it's up? It's fucking brilliant. Yeah. Holds up. <laughs> Holds up. A lot of, maybe it's a bit too... Uh, gratuitous boob type for, film for a three-year-old certainly in a way but uh no i mean it's about the right time but uh it does hold out steve martin i mean it's amazing yeah a lot, a lot of people would could stumble across anything in their childhood or even their teens and you look back you know yeah. 20 years later or so and you're like okay maybe we know maybe i won't say that was the one so steve martin's not a bad steve one to, holds out. to kick off which yeah yeah what about what about a live comedy then so if we move forward like actually experiencing comedy, being you know, there in the room with it in, rather in, than listening in, to in recordings. the room and uh, seeing it all unfold. I think it must have been coming to Edinburgh because I used to come up here when I was quite young. I'd come up here doing plays, and I, I tell you who it was who I really fell in love with. I fell madly in love with was Tony Law. I went to see Tony Law, The Dog of Time, and I was quite young. I don't know how old I was, but I was like, I went to see it maybe three times, and I told everyone to go see it. I was like, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. <laughs> and I then met his dog and I was really like starstruck by him and his dog. <laughs> his dog? Yeah, because he had his dog in the show. Oh, no way. And uh, Cartridge Davidson was the name of the dog. Uh, sadly, no longer with us. And uh, yeah, that was it. I think that was the first sort of properly that I was there. I'd listened to like all of Richard Pryor and I'd listened to all of, I was upset. I had all the tapes of sure. lots of stand-ups and I used to watch them all on telly, but... Probably my first live proper there was Tony Law. And like Steve Martin, it holds up as well, yeah. Yeah, not, um, not dissimilar. Yeah, not too bad now. It's, it's, uh, w- w- one would be forgiven for thinking, maybe maybe you're remembering that a bit too perfectly. But <laughs> yeah. no, that's, they're nice choices. So yeah, you say that you had tapes and um, yeah. that you were, you were coming up to Edinburgh uh, doing plays. So uh, obviously, well, roughly what age kind of would that have been? The teenage years? Or, yeah. Yeah. So by your teenage years, you had... You know, obviously, uh, you're listening to stand-up comedy. You're performing 
in in, in another fashion. Yeah. So have have you always been a performer? Like you I was know? Al- always acting and always writing, and I always secretly wanted to be a stand up, but yeah. I never told anyone, and I was too scared. And I did think, oh, it's something that it's like you no, you can't do that. Like that's for it's it's a popular answer. Is that you know yeah, starting acting yeah. because I guess I guess people take even though it's you know as as tough of a field and you know a bit of a minefield to when you're trying to tell people that's what you want to do, it's almost taken a bit more seriously. Acting, yeah, I yeah. suppose. And, and weirdly, well, they're both terrible things to say that you want to do. Like if someone says they want to be an actor, I always think, oh, grow up. <laughs> <laughs> but even worse, if someone says I want to be a stand-up, I, think, I just think, get a job, mate. Like what a pathetic thing <laughs> to want to do. Um, and I suppose people find there's some like... It's a weird, I think well, there's a weird thing with stand-ups, maybe this is a generalisation, but I think it's true for a lot of people, is that somewhere inside there is some belief or some need to do this. But usually we're very insecure and, and um, shy and all this stuff. And most people look at stand-up and go, oh, well, you must be really arrogant. You must think you're really sure, funny. Yeah. It's like, I never thought, oh, I, it's more of a, I do believe that thing of it's a calling. It's more of a calling than it is a, job so what what at, at what point did you you know you said you secretly wanted to be a stand-up yeah. was it from like you know watching it or listening to the tapes i think i always i think it's because i always felt on the outside of everything as in on the outside looking in I, since i was a little child an observer I, yeah i always remember being just in a lot of situations like even at school just thinking sort of looking around going what the fuck are we all doing? Like, why is everyone <laughs> just going along with this? This is so stupid. All of this seems so weird. I think I always had a, like, I wasn't part of it. I was always like, this is weird. This is embarrassing, everything. And um, I remember doing a, I've never told this story. So this is an exclusive. Here we what, go. A, what a belter. But I once did like a, like we went on a school trip somewhere. And I remember standing up on the coach on the way back to school and like doing an impression of the leader who had ever led us on this activity thing and making everyone laugh and I even remember doing the wanker sign (laughs) but I didn't know what it was I just knew (laughs) that it was funny and it got a really big laugh and I was like yeah that was that was probably like my first kick kick. (laughs) on the bus um so yeah so you know you'd always been performing you say you're always writing and then Something as simple as standing up on a bus, you go, right, hear, hear that laughter and it's just, it feels good, I guess. Yeah, it was just, and it was always like, just fear that stopped me doing it, fear for years and years. And then coming to Edinburgh a lot and I kept coming up doing plays and uh, and then I watched so much stand-up and I was like, oh, and the more I watched it and the more I like, and I met stand-ups and everything, I was like, oh, they are just people it's just something you have to learn to get good at and i really i sort of worked out oh this this is something that takes years to get good at you're not just like it's very rare to be like oh that person was just born an amazing stand-up yeah and so i was like okay so it's it's also a craft and you were no longer i guess on the outside as well looking in you were amongst people who yeah yeah had the same kind of mindset so it's the only i think now i am a stand-up and knowing stand-ups it's probably the only time in my life i felt like Oh, these are my people. I've never liked the idea of having uh, uh, been labelled or being sure. in a box. But then once I was with stand-ups, I'm like, oh, yeah, no. If I have to be in a box, it's this one. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Tell me about getting that first gig. I guess so. You knew stand-ups before you well, tried stand-up. The first stand-up. gig I did is I did Logan Murray's comedy course. Someone, a friend of mine, I've forgotten this, Andrew Keatley, who is a playwright. I think he sent me an email. I knew nothing about any how any of it worked. And he sent me an email for this course and it was like, he was like, you should do this. And it was every Sunday. And then at the end, you had to do a gig. It was like a showcase. And I didn't tell anyone I was going to do it. So I was so like embarrassed and scared. Sure. So I just every Sunday would disappear. I think people thought I'd become religious. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I did this course. And then at the end of the course, you had to do. You had to, and I think that was, I think the course, you know, had its merits and not but ultimately the best thing about the course is it forced you and set up a gig there's a show at the end and it was like you have to and i kind of knew that and then so the whole time you're doing this 10 weeks you've got this thing like fuck in 10 weeks we're doing this and um and i do think if that gig if that gig because i'd also said to myself i'll just do the one gig and then i can tell my grandkids i did it and that'll be it but that first gig was fucking amazing but purely because of adrenaline and yeah and then I was like, okay, this this is going to take loads and loads of gigs. It's going to take thousands of gigs. And then I booked myself. I was doing gigs like three, four times a week. Like just, I knew I had to. And then I died every gig after that for a very long time. But if that, I always had that first gig like, oh, I need to get back to that feeling. Yeah, you know? claw back to the, the, the first feeling. I need to get that first hit. Tell me about the course. Where, where is the course? The course was in Chalk Farm. It was run by Logan Murray. And it was lots of like, I mean, the, the, I think it's a certain demographic. You go there and go, oh, this is a room full of people who've recently had a breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and it was very, you know, it was it was sort of terrifying and fun. But, you know, it's a lot of kind of improv games. And it was basically just a series of things to try and force you out of your fear, I suppose. Sure. And, uh, and the reality is, look, at the end of the day, having done it and now I've done stand-up for 12 years, the only way to really learn stand up was to do stand up sure. and go and do gigs. But I will always be grateful to that course for just making me have that first gig. That's yeah. the reality of I didn't know how you get gigs. I didn't know I didn't know you wrote to people. I didn't know you called up clubs. I had no literally no idea. I didn't even go to stand up live in London, so I didn't know how it worked. So purely from a kind of it helped me practically, like this is what you do and you need to kill this person and this is how you hold a mic, stuff like that. You go, Okay, great. If they taught you all of that, so a lot more than just writing and yeah, and then it and you had to write five minute set. 
So, uh, how does a, a course like that end up when, I guess, how, how, do you remember roughly how many people? Oh, well, so here's the stats. So there were, I think, 20 of us. 20 people, I'm yeah. the only one doing stand-up from that course. Sure. And I think the reality is, it's where you learn. What I think what happened is, everyone was pretty f- funny and interesting people, but you do that first gig and you feel good, and then you die a lot. And some people can't come back from yeah. that. Which I totally respect, because it's, I think there's an element of masochism to this, like, if you can go through this horrific thing and go, oh, I'll do it again. Most people can't because they have healthy self-esteem. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's tough to, to even explain to people. It's like, like I think I think I saw somebody on television once just say, oh yeah, and you know the gig was terrible. And my mother turned to him, do you do you have do you have bad gigs? Like, yeah. Like, well, why do you do it then? You know, yeah. it's like, and I don't blame people for thinking that because I often think, why am I doing this? But you go back and you go back, and that's, yeah. I, I purely think that's the difference between me and the other people. I've got is that you know they're all funny, good people, but I don't think they like this dying. I didn't yeah. like dying, but as in, I think they thought, oh, I'm never doing that again. It it wa- it wasn't worth going through that yeah, to get yeah, it yeah. when it goes well. Yeah, I guess when you're when you're teaching twenty people how how to do a gig and it's a graduation gig, was it a lot of we all kind of in the same direction then come the gig as in like I guess material if you're all kind of following the same formula oh no it's very much like that's what he's good at it's very much your I can't remember it was so long ago I can't remember exactly what he did but I know that it wasn't no one's set was the same it was more like you know there might be an exercise which is tell us a story from your past so that's different for everyone and tell us it was like write a list of some of these things were quite good and I should probably use them now it's like tell us a list of things you hate and so that would hopefully get you to go, oh, I'm really annoyed at trains or whatever. <laughs> and so, yeah, everyone's set was different. And don't get me wrong, some people were dog shit, but um, I actually think most people were really good on that. And, and nobody, did, like, did anybody even go for a little while? Some people went, what, did like a year, I'd say. And there's one of my favorite acts, an Irish guy called Nell Mullen, who I still force to gig. Whenever I do previews, I make him. MC them but that's about the only gig he does and he should do more because he's fantastic but he just I don't know why he doesn't do it where was the gig and when actually as well roughly when where was the gig it was it was at the the Caledonian Arms something like that in Chalk Farm room above a pub okay uh, packed big atmosphere good atmosphere I was on first I remember him calling my name and me like like seeing stars, like thinking I might pass out as I walk to the stage. Someone sent me a DVD of this gig. No way. Recently, yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't seen it. I mean, so I guess if if you've seen it recently, I have to ask, what was your what was your opening joke? My opening joke. Well, here's what I tell you. This is in no way arrogant because what I realise is I was really good, and I think is I'm nothing like that now. <laughs> I think I've gone back. There, there was a different swagger about you. Well, it was like. I, I was almost like a character, I suppose. I was like an angry comic, and I wasn't. But it was, it was tight. It was a tight set. The first joke was, the first joke was a joke joke. The first joke was, as so I came up looking moody. The first joke was, ah, oh, <laughs> I think there's something like my girlfriend left me, and my girlfriend's annoyed with me because I forgot to go to couples counselling. She said that the therapist said I was aggressive. Oh, fuck, what was it? Aggressive, paranoid, and uh, easily distracted. And I said, 
fuck off. Of course he says that. He says it because he fancies you. Oh, look at that. When you, when you say that now and you realize you're here 12 years there, that's, that's the joke that started it all. That's the joke that set the entire path in motion. And here we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've already said that you, uh, you went secretly. You didn't tell people. Did you let people know afterwards? Like, I did, yeah. yeah. Because then there's that horrible phase where you have to do gigs and you sort of need friends to come because yeah. there's no one at these gigs. Which is, the, which is what really cruel part of learning stand-up is your friends have to see you when you're shit. Yeah, and, cause, and they won't come back again. <laughs> yeah, then they won't come back. Yeah, yeah. So 12 years later, they're like, you still doing that thing? <laughs> okay. Still doing that bit about missing couples counselling? One of your little shows. Yeah. Do you have any other memories of, of the show or the night? So you're on first, so you, you, you know, yeah. you, you, you got it over and done with, and you were, I guess you were able to Yeah, relax. I just remember it was a really good night. And, and also what was weird is I remember Logan Murray, who was emceeing it, say afterwards, because it was very special, genuinely. And I've watched the DVD, you watch it, it's like, that was a good night, like good atmosphere, good everything. And he said that night, he said, they won't, because we were split into like four nights, because there were 20 of us, so it was like, okay. whatever, five people a night or whatever. And he said... At the end of the night, everyone was buzzing. It was all great. And he said, they won't all be like that. <laughs> and I thought, what are you talking about? Of course they will. And then I went to like the next week and it was like, oh, no, it's not. Like for whatever reason, the atmosphere wasn't that great. The audience were a bit quieter. It wasn't like that night was like fucking on fire. But sometimes gigs are and sometimes they Yeah. Not. I guess when there's like literally, you know, if you've nothing to compare to that first gig. Yeah. Anything must be a, a bonus. And I guess, yeah, if it's not the exact same, it's going to fall down. So was it, was it after that gig or that night that you said, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and keep, keep this up now. This, is, this oh, won't yeah, just yeah, be the definitely. one for the grandkids. Definitely. I think I went home and like books gigs immediately. Because I knew, I was like, oh, you've got to do your 10,000 hours. Yeah. And I want to speed that up. <laughs> as soon as possible. You mentioned the, the Irish, remind me of the name? Noel Mullen. Noel Mullen. Um, any other names from, from the course or for yeah, that gig? Emily Hayworth Booth. I remember them all. Ed Wilson, yeah. Karen Fantana, Alan Murphy. All funny people. Sure. Just, but some of them like got married and have kids and like, lived a normal life or real life. We asked the opening joke. I'm going to ask the closing joke. Closing joke was a, a bit... I can't really do it on here because it was a bit physical and it was, a, it was I mean, a two-minute bit about James Bond being what if basically the it wasn't quite like this but the idea of it was what if James Bond people keep saying it was when I think Skyfall or something and everyone's going oh James Bond's so realistic and gritty and I was like I don't think I, I think I'd, I'd pitched a script which was a realistic James Bond and basically he does all the action stuff and then and then it was like an actor and me going, fucking hell, did you see that? I nearly got my head blown off. And like him having a breakdown. Yeah. From fear, from the adrenaline of what had just happened. Very nice. L- uh, lastly then, before we let you go, I guess a lot of people starting their first gig now, do you, do you reckon it's a different time for, for comedians yes. now? You know, it's, there seems to be a, a wave that's just non-stop at the moment yeah. of like the new and new and new and you know it's obviously different levels and some a lot of good people are rising now but yeah. what do you see the differences between starting for people starting out now than maybe back um, 12 years ago I think well there's a few things one is I think this, the standard is probably much higher than it used to be I mean just in Edinburgh now every show I've seen has been fucking brilliant I haven't seen one where I'm like everyone's good yeah so you so i suppose there's pressure on that you've got to be it's probably 
harder to be shit for a while. <laughs> and um and there's all I suppose all the fucking online stuff is confusing and I'm never sure if you should have loads of your own I've always resisted putting any stand up online. Maybe to my detriment, because I'm always like, well, I'd rather you sort it live. It's better to be in the room. It doesn't sure, yeah, well, yeah that's it. It's, it works both ways. You know, it's, you can put it online to try and attract people, or else yeah. is it putting it online and they go, well, I've seen that now. And yeah, but maybe I'm wrong on that, because I know a lot of people do very well from using the internet with their stand-up. And, uh, and I also think we're in, a, we're in a tricky, we're in a transitional period in terms of what's allowed what's what people are uncomfortable with as an audience and what you know comedy uh, i think it's going through a phase that it's not quite settled on yet yeah and i think that's confusing and i also think and i remember a pattern with open spots and i was guilty of it as well which is that i think when most people start instinctively they think they do really like offensive material. They'll do jokes about rape or paedophilia or something because A, I think it's out of fear and B, it's because you go, well, I'm, I'm a comedian. I have to say the most outrageous thing. Sure, yeah. And um, The easiest way to stand out is to shock. Yeah. I think that happens a lot with open sort of particularly male open spots. Let's call it what it is. Yeah. Uh, and I think that is definitely going to be harder <laughs> now to... Of course, yeah. Uh, and... Ill-advised. Ill-advised, yes. For a greater good, I think, yes. Yes, I would say. Don't do that. If you're an overspot, try not to do stuff about raving pedos. Uh, wait until you've got some skills if you really need to do that. Simple advice, not just for stand-up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> in, yeah. In your everyday life, uh, keep the talk to a minimum. But I do think, I think that there's, there is definitely a shift in, in audience and in reaction and I think it's, uh, I, but it's, I don't have the answer because I think it's not settled yet. I think it's yeah. properly happening. We're in a uh, transition, whatever the word is. Things are changing. It's changing quite a lot, quite quickly. I don't think anyone quite knows what, what's, there's sort of not been a, well, we, we, we do this now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, do you think it could be tough like to, to find that settlement then, I guess? You know, if, it, if everything's moving and, you know, I guess. Maybe it will never settle. But, you know, there's people who argue that there's a lot of shows now that aren't really funny, that are all sort of about an issue, and they're not much fun. And there are people that, you know, then there are people who are going, we can't not be shocking and say stuff, because that was the whole point of comedy, was to rattle against the norm. And if the norm is, we're all being very respectful, and, you know, it's difficult. It's genuinely complicated, and I don't know the answer. Let's let's go back to the... the f- the moments right before you, you you go on stage, yeah. You know your first Logan has gone up and them scene. It's getting to that point now where he's about to introduce the first act. You yeah. know it's you. All the feelings going through you. Yeah. But if we could take you today, yeah, and pull yourself back then aside, yeah. And, and what what would you say to yourself in that moment? You think that that the hindsight advice. <laughs> what would I say to myself then? I'd say um, whatever you're doing tonight. Can we try and remember it? <laughs> because I don't think I do that anymore. That's what I'd say. I genuinely, I know maybe maybe it's unusual, maybe it's not, and I don't want to sound arrogant because genuinely, I've had so many horrendous gigs. But that first one was was great, was properly, and not even like yeah for a first gig it was great. It was like I was a smasher. So we got we got we got Steve Martin, Tony Law, and your first gig. They all hold up. Yeah, they, they, they all hold up. But then second gig died a mouse. Third gig died a mouse. You know, 
Thanks very much for chatting about your first gig. Hey, it was an absolute pleasure. There we have it. Thank you so much, Brett, for joining the show. Thank you so much for all of you for listening to the show. Hopefully you didn't mind the background noises too much. It is as good as I could get it and as brilliant as ACAS can power it, which is the best it can be powered. I didn't do any of the plugs at the top of the show. I thought I'd leave them down to the end. So if you're listening now and you've made it this way through, now you know, yes, let's subscribe on patreon get episodes ad free early and extended and what about those bonus episodes oh well guess what they're coming this week baby i promised you they're coming oh daddy they're coming so do that uh patreon.com for slash my first gig pod you can follow me at Dwayne dugan follow the pod at my first gig pod and uh follow brett online go watch ted lasso now i must admit I'll say this now. I've never watched Ted Lasso. And I'm not doing like a backhanded thing, being like, oh, thanks for being on my show, Brett. I didn't even watch your TV show. It's more of a case of like when I saw this advertised, and I remember the Jason Sudakis uh, skits with the, was it with Spurs, I think, as part of like, I don't know, BT Sport or something back in the day, and they were hilarious. And then when I heard a show was being made, it's like, okay, perfect. This is, you know, a comedy sitcom about football. That's me. You know, I have friends in comedy, I have friends who like football. It doesn't really cross over. This show crosses over, I thought it was for me. And then all my com- non-football fan friends were like, oh, yeah, yeah, this show is great. So therefore, I don't trust it, you know. And I see every other student, so everyone, like the show doing so well, I'm like, oh, shit, it must be good. But I just can't bring myself to do it. And that's not to say I won't. I just need the suggestions to die and fade into the background and then i will watch it based on my own desire to watch it but i think if i watch it now i'll just be taking too much i'll be taking too much credit for it and you know it's not like me and you know brett's career that's real you know whereas them taking credit for what i watch and what i enjoy no no not for me uh anyway yeah look is this banter good enough to justify you still listening? Of course it's not. How about we announce next week's guest and then we get on the road. Next week's guest. Let's uh I'm going to do the last of my Paddy Power uh interviews from this year because I do feel uncomfortable with putting out episodes being like hey this was recorded 47 years ago. But that's just the way this is. When it's recorded in series, sometimes we're not going to get series out. I'm looking at some here. There's some that were recorded two, three years ago. But look, let's get the modern ones out because the old ones are going to be old in a year's time anyway if I put them on season four. So <laughs> how about next week we do the final of our Paddy Power Festival series of interviews and it's going to be the amazing Brody Snook. So guys, tune in next week for that. Thank you for tuning in. Now, this has been powered by Acast. Go to acast.com and listen to all their amazing podcasts. But once you've checked out the entire back catalogue of my first gig, uh, for my first gig, I've been Dwayne Dugan. You have been a pleasure. I have been cold, adrenaline, and mumbly. And I apologise for nothing. Good night. It's the My First Gig Podcast. Whoa. You've 
You've been listening to the My First Gig with Dwayne Dugan on Acast. Follow online at My First Gig Pod or at Dwayne Dugan. For classic episodes, ad-free, early access and more, head to myfirstgigpod.com. This is My First Gig with Dwayne Dugan, powered by Acast. Enjoy. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.